When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and I hope your holidays are off to a good start. It's always hectic with more to do. Um, joining me in just a moment will be Lori Carter. Lori is the Dean of Arts and Humanities at Susquehanna University, and she has a really remarkable story. I'm so honored to have her. Later in the show, you'll hear from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor, and Sherry will be with Suzanne Becker. Suzanne is the co-mender of The Menders, which is a group of women in Philadelphia who provide mending services to people who go through the church ministries and the hub of hope um, and some, <coughs> excuse me, some, some other um, services in our area. And at the very end of the show, you'll hear from Carol Eggert with Comcast NBC Universal. Carol is the senior vice president for Comcast NBC Universal, and she leads their veterans and military affairs. So now I'm very thrilled and honored to welcome to the show, Lori Carter. Hi. Hi. Here. Welcome. Welcome to the show. It's very nice to have you. And um, just so our viewers know, you're sitting in your beautiful office in, at the university there, um, Susquehanna University. Yes. It's great to have you. Thank you. So, so happy to be here. Well, you... Uh, you know, you and I spoke before the show, and um, I truly am so impressed by so many pieces of your personal story. Um, and really, it speaks to your resilience and your ability to constantly be seeing and looking forward um, with hope. And I, I love that. And I just wanted to start with talking about you actually wrote a book that was published in 2015 about your life story. And my first question is why? Why did you want to put that out publicly um, with parts that are tough to read? Yeah. Well, Toni Morrison has this wonderful quote, if there's a book you want to see in the world, write it. And um, I'm probably massacring that in a little bit, but the sentiment is the same. Um, growing up, we weren't taught, you know, Maya Angelou's story, Toni Morrison's story. Um, so I didn't have those stories to actually latch on to. I latched on more to Stephen King's horror stories because as I say in my book, um, his um, world was crazier than mine. And so once I survived and knew I had the words to tell the story and the want to tell the story, then I decided I wanted to write something that girls like me growing up in areas like the one that I grew up in could actually go and use that as possibly a roadmap on not so much how to get out, but how to survive and to keep thriving and to keep moving toward one's own purpose. Can you talk about the community there in Portsmouth, um, Virginia? What was that community like? Well, it was like a lot of communities in America today, impoverished. Um, my mother, by the time she was 23, had five kids and was a single mother, you know? And so having to provide for all of us and having to work jobs sometimes that kept her away from home, um, being moved uh, so often because at the time I didn't know, but you know, being evicted or 
or having to leave what we knew as home, um, it was very difficult. And there were also um, issues with crime, drug activity, um, people being killed, people I'd go to school with one day they're there and the next day they're not. And so you're thinking about a child who I now understand a lot of what I experienced and children like me experienced was compound trauma, but trying to understand along the way why these things are happening to me and to people in the community that I live in. Is it that we're bad people? Is it that we don't deserve um, better? Um, those are the ways in which children internalize those things. And so that was something that I very early learned to kind of watch. I knew it wasn't right. I knew I didn't want to be in those spaces, but I didn't have the agency or the ability to get myself out of those spaces. And so when I think about the reason that I decided to write my book um, is so many of those things were traumatic. And a lot of times when you go through trauma, you have very different experiences. But for me, I kind of became a recorder or a reporter of sorts where I could go through that fire and remember it and then come out. Sometimes when I'm writing about it or I'm reliving it, sometimes I don't want to relive it, but I end up reliving it. It's almost like watching a movie and you know, being able to recount the smallest details and the smells and the sounds, those things put me right back into that space. And so once I realized that I had that ability, you know, I wanted to use it. I wanted to use it. So those who were talking about children like me and places like where I lived, that they could actually see it. And, and maybe they wouldn't be so judgmental or maybe they wouldn't treat those who come from those environments in the same way. You know, in you, you, you're, you write so beautifully and descriptive. So, it, you know, when you're talking about your ability to remember all those um, sensories, I'll say, um, it really is impactful. And you also really dug into the generations that came before you, which I think is so um, smart and, and probably helpful for you to look at when we look at someone's life and it's troubled, you have to look at the generation before and the generation before and the generation before. So your mother, I know, um, has been a huge influence on you. And you described her in uh, one line, you said she was strong but weak. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you can describe what you meant by that. Well, I mean it in the way that so many women in particular are, where um, we are taught to be subservient um, submissive in some ways, where we're taught that our voices don't matter. And um, to be a good woman to your mate is to be quiet about your pain. And so on the one hand, I knew my mother to be a fighter. I knew her to be someone who could make something out of nothing. Someone, if she saw me being harmed, there was no... Um, way she would allow it to happen. But then in the same time, I had to process her being in relationships where I saw her being abused and her going back. So a perfect example in the book is when she found out that I, at 15 and 16, was in a, um, an abusive relationship. She, it, it, when I saw her pull a knife on the guy and say, I will gut you um, <laughs> if you touch wow. my daughter, and wow. then, you know, vaulting back to a history where I saw her battered, where I saw the police come to the house, where I saw them saying, we can't make him leave, but we can take your children um, if you don't want to stay in this environment. And her saying, okay, I'll stay. And then hearing them making love later in the night. That's what I'm talking about, strong but weak where she had no problem being strong for me, standing up for me, fighting for me. But when it came time to do the same for herself, that was difficult. And I better understand that now as an adult, you know, that a lot of times, you, know, you think about it, when women get divorced, when they, um, you know, when marriages fall apart, there's always the question of, well, what did you do? Um, or, you know, well, didn't you know that that was happening? Don't you think you could have done something differently? Um, and, 
you know, I now know that when my mother was being harmed like that, like, where could she go? You know, family members, they love you. They want to be there for you. But at the same time, if if you're going to someone who is also being abused, what kind of advice can they give when they're struggling through the same thing? Mm-hmm. When the mentality is, this is what love looks like and this is what men do. Um, and so really, I think one of the greatest gifts that my mother gave me that shows her strength is she worked to teach me, this is not what love looks like. This is not what men do. You do not have to, you know, suffer in this way. You know, one of the I was going to say, and it's complicated because to know that, to have been taught that, but then to see her struggling um, through very similar things, it's a gift and, and a curse. And, you know, I just learn and I teach her just as she teaches me. Yeah. Um, and so it's really it's it's can be very difficult to process at times but that's why I wrote the book because I wanted to show you see women who go back and forth you see them in these situations and you think why can't she just leave well my hope was with the book you would you would understand why you would see why yeah one of the most powerful things you said to me that really just kind of hit me in the gut was when you were describing the message that gets passed down from generation to generation from the women themselves to each other is, this is just how it's done. And I guess my question for you is, where you are now as a mother and an adult, um, and and where history has gone, um, do you see that narrative ending? You know, the hope is, yeah, it'll end right. That's that's why you do the work you do. That's why you do the healing that you you do you're doing. Um, but the reality of it is my daughter, my granddaughter, they're going to have their own journeys that they have to walk. And no matter how much I show them, no matter how much I let them know, this doesn't have to be your walk. I think some of this stuff is inherited. It's in the bones. And mm-hmm. it's about working that out in the most productive way that you can. And so while I have done everything I learned um, from my mother and from the things that happened to me what not to do with my daughter. Like I never let people keep my daughter. I never let her, um, as she was younger, go out and, and, and you know have men babysitting her and things like that. And I was so keen on protecting her. But has she had difficulties that she's had to face that I couldn't foresee? Yes. But the hope is that I am able to translate to her her own healing and help her start that journey for herself. And I think that's what what happens to all of us. The world is so very different from when I was 14, from when my mother was 14. So you can't foretell what is to come, but strength transcends time. It transcends generations. And when you can convey that, like one thing my daughter won't have, you know, that I had was I knew my mother, no matter how hard she tried and wanted to, did not graduate high school. And that is something that still pains her today. So she put in me that love of education and that want. So my daughter won't know a world where a woman of color doesn't have, you know, we don't have PhDs. They're not deans. Like she, she watches me and she tells me, you know, how proud she is of me. She shows me in her confidence that she's learning even when I'm not actively teaching. My granddaughter, who's only two now, she won't know a world where her grandmother was being abused and she could see the evidence of that abuse. Right. You know, I've taught my son how to love his wife so that he will know how to treat his wife so his daughter understands how a wife and a woman is treated. Even the fact that my son has a wife that he had a wife before he had his daughter. See, before we didn't have that. My mother, you know, married, but she, you know, she married my father and I never met him until I was 26 years old. Like fathers were a figment of your imagination. My granddaughter won't know that. She loves her father, you know, he's her best friend. And so (laughs) those are the ways in which we change things. And that's all we can hope to do is make sure that we live in such a way that the next generation 
has a blueprint because they will create their own. They're not just going to follow the one that we create for them. Yeah. You know, Lori, you, you've done so much more than work through your life emotionally and, you know, try to get to a better place. You actually, and we're, I want to talk about this in the, you know, uh, next segment about what the choices that you made to go to school to get um, a master's and a doctorate and your love of words and reading. And so when we come back, I want you to talk about how you managed to do that mm-hmm. with the conflict and the confusion you had growing up. How did you manage to make all those right decisions? while trying to process emotionally um, what you saw and experienced as a young girl. So think about that, and um, we'll talk about that when we come back. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We are the nation's first children's hospital. Now a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first-of-its-kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention, Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello and welcome back to the show. You're watching Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco and I'm joined this week by Lori Carter. Lori is the Dean of Arts and Humanities at Susquehanna University. And um, just before the break, I I did mention that while you describe beautifully um, and vividly what life was like growing up um, and had continually tried to work through it and, you know, figure out what was going on, you also were very purposeful and, and, and moved forward with curiosity and a love of reading. And I wonder, when did you discover first and foremost your love of reading? Oh, as a young girl, um, one of my first memories is memorizing a book and wow. then having my mother um, 
it was like a kid's book, you know. Oh, wasn't the encyclopedia. It wasn't the encyclopedia, but it was a long book. And, and you know, uh, and then my mother was, you know, I was reading and I'm like, watch. And I gave her the book and could read the book without her, you know, <laughs> having to show me any of the words. And it was yeah. like a song. And so I just remember once as a kid, you find out, oh, that made her happy. She likes yeah. that. You yeah. know, then I started just doing more of it. And then I just wanted to have my own words. I wanted to have my own song. So I just remember like in this, you know, maybe the first, second grade. And I remember in the third grade that I did a performance of a poem that I had written during um, an MLK celebration. So just loving words and, and loving what they could do to people and for people and wanted to share that with people. You know, and growing you, up in, five, in a house with five kids, you had to have something that made you feel special. And that was what made me feel special. And was it also an, a kind of an escape and a, and a time to be right blocking out everything that was going on around you, diving into a book? Well, and definitely as I grew older, I could write the reality that I wanted, you know, and that could be a good thing and a bad thing because no matter what I wrote, it was still connected to the reality of the situation, but I could always have a happy ending. Yeah. So in all of my stories that I wrote, I still lived in the projects. I still saw friends being killed, you know, but I was being saved by a young man um, or I was finding my father who was absent so I could write him and I could draw him so that he was in my life. And so, you know, those types of things as a child, just being able to understand that, hey, you can create worlds that give you a better now than you actually have. I mean, I remember as a girl and you asked the question earlier, like, how was I able to, you know, move through these difficult times? And I think it, it was because I had vision and I wouldn't have called it vision then. Um, I call it vision now as a dean because I am very aware of how I am able to see opportunities and things um, where people don't normally see them. And then I'm able to convey that. So now I'm understanding that that is vision and that's being able to convey one's vision to someone else. But as a little girl, I would literally set aside time where I would go in my bedroom by myself and just be in the bed and dream while awake, dream and let the dream go wherever it was going. But wherever it was going took me away from where I was. Right. And I think the most important message, and I'm sure when you're speaking and you do, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of speaking and mentoring, and if you're in front of a large audience of women, you want them to know that they can create that life for themselves. So that vision is not just make-believe. If they make those right choices, they absolutely have the potential to create that life. And you've done that. Right. You created the life you dreamt about. Um I want to talk about, so right out of high school, you went into the army and you did that as a way to kind of escape some of the, you know, the bad things that were going on at home and, and in your community. Um, tell our listeners what happened. It wasn't was exactly. Running. Go ahead. Yeah, I was running, you know, I was running away from, I, like I said, I had been in an abusive relationship that my mother had saved me from, but that young man was still reaching out, still threatening to kill me. So every day I felt like this could be the day that I die. Well, what better way to protect myself than to go into the army and they'll be able to keep them away. Um, and, you know, I, there wasn't a lot of forethought into it. It was a lot of regret because of the abuse I had suffered because of the poverty that I had suffered because of my very bad attitude, which people saw that and thought this is an unruly, unteachable young woman. And, you know, could just kind of throw me away. No one could see that there was so much pain and anger and hurt and wanting to protect oneself, feeling like you need to fight. There are so many people I meet now that I went to high school with and they're like, we can't believe you're not in jail. And that's not, you know, I always kind of think that's so shady um, to say. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny when you described yourself as 
unruly, unteachable. I can't even picture that yeah. knowing you now, your, your, your attitude to me is such a beneficial part of why you are a dean right. at a university. And that's why I try to, when I see people who are difficult, I try to have the same grace that I wish someone would have had for me. Yeah. You know, and along the way, the people who met me and saw right through it, I mean, saw right clear through it, teachers. I remember Mr. Shepard telling me one day, you're from the projects, you are not the projects. And that just being a light that turned mm -hmm. on in me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, up until my um, senior year of high school, I had like a 1.7 GPA. I always did enough not to fail, but never enough to, to, to be able to really think about going to college. And then when he said that to me my senior year, I was a 4.0 student. That yeah. whole straight A's. But it was yeah. like someone saying, do you see this? And me being like, no, but I want to. I want to see it. And that feeding into itself. And mm -hmm. so when I, you know, initially, and that's part of the book too, I had just surrendered to the fact that I need to get me a boyfriend who was a drug dealer, have a few babies by him. And if I'm lucky, move into the projects that I fought so hard to get out of. Mm. And, um, it wasn't until, like I said, I was running and my mom said, we're in 18, you're getting out of here, uh, you know, that I knew. And there's a scene in the book where I had this guy in mind where I was like, I can, I can just stay. But I had a moment of clarity where it's like, if you stay, you will be waiting forever for someone else to save you. Mm. And so that then fueled the decision to go into the military. And sadly, that's what my second memoir is about which is that wasn't the answer because the same, you know, battles that I fought out in the civilian world, I had to fight when I was in the military. And it, it, it took an undoing of myself that didn't really occur, but five years from ago, you know, really, that what I became in myself, even as an academic, was someone who used education and success as a drug. And so, you know how some people, when they've suffered abuse, um, child um, abuse, sexual abuse, they turn to drugs, they turn to sex, they turn to things that anyone can look at and see that is, you know, damaging or that will not help you or benefit you in your life. Well, I turned to education can still be as damaging when you are not dealing with the things that you need to deal with in order to heal. So on the surface, I looked very, I looked very successful. I had all the degrees, I had the job, but I was dying inside and didn't even know to look inward to be able to tell that that was what was happening to me. But as life will often do, things fell apart for them to fall back together again. That was what happened when I lost, you know, when my 21 year marriage came to, you know, an end that it caused me to do what I did as a girl, look inward, imagine what life is supposed to be, what it's supposed to feel like, you know, because what you're living is a shell of what you should be living. Mm. And so, you know, that was a hard lesson to learn. And um, it was very helpful to be in therapy at that time, to have someone explain to me when I started having nightmares about the abuse that I had experienced as a child, the physical abuse, and I'm 20 years removed from it. And I'm like, why is this happening? And she said, because you built your healing on this marriage and on this idea of who you are as an educator. And when all of that fell apart, everything that you never healed fell right on top of it. And so what has happened now is just a, you know, a mining of those experiences and an understanding of, okay, that happened, but that's not who you are or who you have to be. And living authentically and really kind of moving away from things that don't serve me so that I can walk in my full purpose. I used to be such a people pleaser because I believe what so many people um, believe, my therapist told me about this, the golden rule. 
Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. So when bad things happen to me, then I had no choice but to believe I must have been bad. So undoing like that damage that you do to yourself, the, the voices that come from the outside where people say to you, well, didn't you deserve it? Well, didn't you, you know, don't you think you should have known that that was going to happen to you? I'm really just showing myself grace and being able to understand I'm on the same journey that I was on as a little girl, walking around in Lincoln Park projects, not understanding everything that's happening. But where I am now was I don't have to understand. What I do have to do is continue walking. What I do have to do is continue dreaming. What I do have to do is to protect myself and remember that I love myself and to fall in love with myself over and over again, whether or not someone else does. And I think sadly, many women don't learn this lesson until it's too late. And they've run themselves in the ground trying to be everything for everyone. Right. But I'm trying to learn that now. I'm trying mm -hmm. to care for myself. I, I wake up every day and I, I, I find new things that I want to do, that I want to accomplish. And being in this new position is so fulfilling because it's hard all the time. But I'm here and I'm, 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 I'm solving things. For myself. People, people look to you. People right. are looking to you for answers and guidance. Right. Yeah. And my idea of self-worth is not dependent on anyone else's view of me. How they see me is their business. But as long as I know who I am and what I'm doing and that I'm doing my best, then my job is to just continue to move forward. And so it really is a departure from that little girl that I carry with me that had the responsibility of making sure everybody was okay. Mm. Now I have the responsibility of making sure I'm okay. And I pray that others can, can work on theirs, you know, as well. And then we can meet somewhere, but not that I'm responsible for making sure that they're okay or okay with me. Isn't it interesting that intellectually we know all of what you just said, can we ever learn it and know it and then live free and always with the confidence, you know, and love for ourselves that we should have? Why is there, it's, I, I don't want to say why, it's interesting to me that there's always that little trickle back to the little girl in yeah. the head. It stays with us physically almost. Yeah. And I think that's part of the journey, right? Like when you really, when you really understand what this is all about and that we have no control. We just have no control over the things that are going to happen in life. Yeah. I mean, there are things that we can do, mm -hmm. but ultimately I can make plans for what I want to do tomorrow. And there are a million things that could happen right now and that won't happen. Correct. And so being able to surrender to that, for me, it's now being mindful and living in the moment, like not constantly reaching toward something that I think is going to relieve something in me. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But actually being totally okay with this moment mm -hmm. and totally happy in what I'm able to accomplish in this moment. And yet, it, you know, you would think we would, um, we would be able to learn that and keep it or someone would be able to teach us that. And that's what all of the self-help gurus try to do. Right, but I right. think that is part of the beauty of it, that we keep learning it over and over again. You know, it's almost like mindfulness, right? Like if you constantly walked around and, you know, you were mindful, you'd be some type of floating figure and nothing would touch you. But you have to remember to come back to the breath. You have to remember to come back to the present moment. 
you have to remember that, you know, going back and, and, and rehashing these past things that you now cannot change. You have to remember, oh, I'm there. Let me come back to where I am because that is where the celebration begins. That's mm -hmm. where the celebration has been beginning for me because oh, I, I am, a, I, love yeah, that. I, I live in my head. I live in that space. All the things that I should have done, all of the changes that I would make, worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And some of that stuff, I can't stop thinking about it. But as I continue to say, oh, you don't have any control over that. You know, um, I always tell people this, two times in my life where I had complete peace, two times, when I knew I had to have brain surgery for an unruptured brain aneurysm, and when I found out that my husband of 21 years had been having an affair for two years, complete peace. When I tell you something washed over me and there was you would think that I would be in turmoil, but it was a peace I had never known. And that peace came from knowing there is nothing that you can do to undo this. Nothing that you can do but feel the fear, feel the pain, wake up every moment and know this is where we are, but we will get through it. What One way or the other. So was the piece from um, understanding there was nothing yet you had to do? It was just acceptance, right? Because it, when life steps in and throws us a curveball, then we're riddled with, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So yes. you just immediately went to acceptance, and that's where the peace came from. Well, I didn't immediately go there. <laughs> there was a lot of pain. Now, I did immediately go there when I found out my husband was cheating because there was a lot of building up to it. And, it then, and then when I found out, it was like, got it. There's nothing else to figure out. Got it. And the peace came in. I only had control in that moment of what I would allow myself to feel and whether or not I would do something that would damage me forever or I would make a choice to, you know, do something that would make me better. And in both of those, now what I struggle to do is to have that realization without the pain, without feeling like I could die because I'm about to have this surgery without feeling like my husband is out there doing these horrible things to me and I'm, I'm playing the fool. Now the goal is to have that peace without that. And so that's what I'm constantly striving for. And there are those moments when I feel that and I'm like, you got it. And you didn't have to die. A part of you didn't have to die inside for you to have that moment. You actually could live and feel it by doing the things that you're purpose to do, by being able to help others see that within themselves. And you know that I just went through a family tragedy and, you know, and, and seeing my cousin be so strong and be just so present and, and, and being able to be there with her, that was, that was so much pain in that moment, but there was so much love of self, of her, of, you know, what she had lost and, and, and knowing that she was leaning toward the healing, that mm -hmm. she was going to go after the healing. And I think that's what we all have to do is continue to run to the healing, not running away from anything, but running to it and knowing mm -hmm. that's the vision, knowing that it's there. Yeah. Wow. You know, we're almost out of time and I didn't get through half of the things <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about, which is why we need you to come back. Um, I, I just want to mention, first of all, I want to give the name of your book because I didn't do that at the top of the show. Crave Sojourn of a Hungry Soul yes. is the name of your book. And you're working on another book um, yes. that's going to be published in 2023. Other than honorable, a soldier's struggle through military sexual trauma, 
um, will be coming out in 2023. And we'll hopefully, hopefully, you know, this new job is slow. <laughs> it's slowing <laughs> things down, but starting job takes up yeah. your time. So. I know. <laughs> um, which we, you know, we didn't really get to talk about your role as the dean, and and I I do want to bring you back, and we'll do that. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Your words are always so. Um, original and and powerful and you're an extremely wonderful role model for young girls um, particularly the ones who are going through what you went through as well so i thank you for coming on uh during your busy busy time of year um and we'll have you back thank you so much have a great day Thank you. Up next is Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor, and she'll be with Suzanne Becker, um, co-mentor of an organization, a group of women who provide mending services for people in need in Philadelphia. We'll be right back with Sherry. Thanks, Lori. Action News, celebrating 50 years with AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC streaming app. Whether you're just getting started Already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. The special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome to the Lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Suzanne Becker, co-mender in charge of The Menders. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Oh, thank you so much. And we appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. It's our pleasure. So everybody is going to ask, what is a co-mender in charge and who are The Menders? We are going to tell you. For more than five years, a wonderful team of some 16 to 30 women from several churches in Philadelphia and the surrounding area have come to Broad Street Ministry each Thursday and the Hub of Hope, a branch of Project Home, on Tuesdays in groups of two or three to offer free mending services to their guests. Suzanne, would you please describe in a little more detail the menders and how the mending services work? Oh, sure. I'd be delighted to. There are about 15 of us who... Uh, regularly sign up on we use a very cool web thing to do it and you can check off when you want to work or where you want to work and we work on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 11 at Hub of Hope which is in Suburban Station and then we work on Thursdays from 11:30 to 2 up at Broad Street Ministries which is that beautiful church that's across from the Kimmel Center and what we do is show up and 
just happily mend, patch, sew on buttons, do anything that our guests need done. Most particularly, we end up doing a lot of um, backpacks um, because if you're carrying a lot of your possessions on your shoulders, they, they tear often. And just any number of other things. Is now a good time to talk about that or are we going to do it later? No, we can, we can talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Um, I think I had it mixed up. So you are at Hub of Hope on Tuesdays and Broad Street Ministry on Thursdays. First thing, right. Sorry about that. <laughs> Perfectly all right. I love the heading on Broad Street Ministries website. We practice radical hospitality. We reach beyond the societal norms of service. And that is for sure. It's more than mending. It's acknowledging, seeing, listening, caring, helping to make everyone, no matter what their circumstances, be the best that they can be to become more independent, successful, feel visible, and cared for. How did the menders get started? Well, first, you nailed exactly what I'm what um, Broad Street Ministries is and what it's about. Excuse me. <clears throat> if you go in to that building, you'd be just delighted to see it's a beautiful old church and up in the sacristy, they have um, tables all set up there and serve people lunch. So it's quite wonderful. So did, I'm sorry, what did you ask me? How did we get started or? No? Yeah, I, I asked you how you got started. And but, yeah. Okay, okay. so there's this <laughs> wonderful friend of mine named Helen Cunningham, who was the head of executive director of the Fells Fund. And she used to do a lot of site visits. And when she did a site visit at Broad Street Ministries, she got in touch with me right away. She texted and she said, <clears throat> excuse me, when I retire, this is where I want to work. And so we heard about it years ago. So when both of us retired, we found our way to it through a, a woman named Barbara Lappin, who started it. Uh, she started it probably 20 years ago through her church, Broad Street. Uh, no, her church was called Swarthmore Presbyterian. And um, she gathered a lot of people from her church who wanted to help, and her church supported it. So they showed up at Broad Street bringing their own sewing machines and wow. some other equipment. And so sorry, I'm starting to get a cold. Um, they had grew it into something big and have been placed all different places within Broad Street. But now we are very, um, a lot of those wonderful women basically aged out or moved out of the city. And so we started, Helen and I started moving in with a lot of our friends and we get, we gathered lots of friends through a group that we belong to that meets Mondays first Monday of every month called Needlers. And there's a lot of good people who so, who are seamstresses. So they join us. And um, now we've got, we're all set up. We have several machines that are all exactly the same as we have at Hub of Hope. So we've got a, we've got a good thing cooking good there now. That's fantastic. Um, so we touched on it a little bit before. Please tell us a little bit about some of the articles you mend, and do you have a favorite story about something someone brought to you? Absolutely. <coughs> we <coughs> excuse me. There are a lot of favorite stories, but we'll tell a few. <laughs> okay, well, um, there was a, a really cool man who came regularly, and he loved the Dallas Cowboys, so he would bring in patches. Um, all, all different kind of Dallas Cowboys stuff. And we had to give him so much grief because we were all Eagles fans and it was very funny. So we, he, one time we sewed a, a badge onto his hat, sewed him on his jacket. Um, he, he was just this wonderful guy, really very obviously in love with the Dallas Cowboys. We also did um, a very interesting thing for a guy who had a leather jacket, big one, and he wanted this American flag that had been part of a, a rug or something sewn on the back of this thing. So for three weeks in a row, because we had to hand sew it. So three weeks in a row, he brought his jacket back and we did that for him. I Just the other day, I did this really unusual one for this man who had two fanny packs and he wanted them gathered together so that he could have it wear just one and then have his fanny packs on either side of his waist so protective stuff so there's that kind of stuff that you know you wouldn't think about one um oh one wonderful woman brought in a, a 
a big blanket that had a lot of holes in it. So we patched that for her. And that was what she slept under every night. Um, we don't do tailoring, but we can do pretty much anything. Lots of times it's a zipper that's broken, which unfortunately we can't replace zippers. We can either put in Velcro or make something work so people have a something warm to wear. Mm -hmm. um, backpack and the other and really it's a lot of backpacks and it's it's very telling it's very sobering for those of us who are lucky enough to have a roof over our heads to realize that a lot of people are carrying around their lifetime their life on their back yeah, yeah. i would imagine it's it's difficult to see all the time now the, the man that was the dallas cowboys fan not only was he a big fan but he had to be one of the bravest people in philadelphia to be walking around <laughs> the dallas garb on i mean absolutely true here, in philadelphia. <laughs> here, here are these older women giving him so much grief but he was great he was a very funny wonderful wonderful man oh, that's great do you see any of the people who used to spend time at broad street ministry or a hub of hope who have come to be on the giving versus receiving side of things, people have turned, who have turned their lives around? Yeah, one of the things that um, Barbara Lapp and our founder way back when told us in when we did these sessions, these learning sessions, she said, we do not do social work. So uh, we're there to help people mend, uh, help them with whatever they need mended. But of course you hear stories. I mean, of course, because we're all pretty nice people and we all enjoy meeting with, you know, talking with our guests. Sure. You, do, you do hear a lot of tough stories and a lot of people who um, are back on their feet. Oh, and that's another important thing. Both Hub of Hope and Broad Street Ministries are drop-in centers. They are not um, residential programs. Mm -hmm. And so um, we work a lot with um, both people who do not have housing and uh, people who are working poor, who, who, you know, need an extra meal and that's a great place to get it. And um, who, like I was, I think I, I, one time this man came with this like size 52 black vest and he was like a 42 <laughs> size and we had to fix it. You know, we had to uh, mend, you get it smaller for him. And I actually worked with him and he, he was like, uh, he was, he needed it because he was a waiter. So it was all different. Um, people and actually really terrific people and a lot of um, we had this one woman we loved she um, she would bring in wonderful stuff that needed to be taken in and she wore everything matching if, if there were kisses on the sweatshirt that she had kiss earrings she had kiss pants <laughs> she, was just, she was awesome she was just just wonderful so we did see uh, and there was a woman who worked at the library and she needed her pants shortened. So, I mean, her uniform pants shortened. So we pretty much took, did a lot of different things. Yeah, and and you mentioned that there's, uh, at least at um, Broad Street, there's the um, clothing closet that oh, they right. make appointments and get clothes um, for job interviews or a job or something that may not quite fit them. So you will not tailor them, but at least hem them and make them so that they're a little bit more um, acceptable for, to go in and, you know, look like, look like they're ready for their new job. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we really learned is how, I don't think we had a person who really didn't care about how they looked and how they presented themselves. I mean, they were there to, because if something needed to be mended or fixed, that's why they, you know, they really cared. Of course they do. Of course, everybody does. Yeah. You could go into the clothes as soon as you walk into Broad Street Ministry. There's an opportunity to sign up to go to the clothes closet, and there are always volunteers there as well, and they help um, people find what's right. And then sometimes they do need to be shortened or taken in or let out, and they can just walk from the clothes closet over to us, and we'll work on it. And they're usually at Hub of Hope. Usually, two of us work. Um, and at Broad Street Ministry, there's usually three to four of us. And in the before COVID clobbered everything, um, we used to uh, do about 30, um, at least 30 objects for people. Um, and now we are back in business. And so it's, 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 it's picking up again. But, um, you know, the, the pandemic really 
yeah. cut into that program. It did for everybody, but yes, of course. I, I understand. And I'm sure they're they're very proud people that never plan to be in these in this position in life. Um, that probably don't really want to come there, but you know, like to carry themselves well and and come in. And as long as they're going to be there, they're they're going to be their very best. So it's it's really a, a great facility that they have there, and it's a great service that you provide. You were involved with nonprofit work before the Menders. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your career and some of the work that you've done? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, I, I've been a fundraiser my whole career, um, and I started at the University of Pennsylvania working at the Wharton School, um, where I finished my degree while working there. And um, that was really fun. Fundraising for Wharton was different from some of the other fundraising I've done in my life. <laughs> and um, from there, I went to a wonderful pediatric hospital called Children's Heart Hospital that is out of business now, but um, was a great place for children with chronic diseases. Um, and then I went back. What did I do after that? Um, oh, I worked at... Uh, <laughs> I worked at a lot of, oh, the Franklin Institute Science Museum. I don't know how I could forget that. It was such a wonderful place. And I mostly, I did a lot of capital fundraising. So we raised the money to build a future center. Um, at the, the, it's not the latest edition, but the addition uh, mm -hmm. to the Franklin Institute. And then I went from there out to Philadelphia University, which is now part of Jeff Jefferson uh, acquired it. And um there, I just ran all the marketing and communications and fundraising. <clears throat> then I had an awesome job, a job once our kids were out of college, I could take, which was, I was president of Women's Way, which is this wonderful fundraising federation that yeah. um, raises money. We, it raised money for 10 of the member agencies. And it was one of the first fun, feminist fundraising organizations in the country. They've gone in a different direction now because things are better and they can uh, operate in a little bit different way, but well, they aren't much better, but they're better. Um, and then <clears throat> I went back to back to Penn and ended my career raising money for the uh, University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, now called Penn Museum. Oh, fun. And then after that, I was a consultant for the school district, um, which I really enjoyed working on the, trying to match the money that Walter Annenberg and his wife gave to the school district, wow. $50 million. And we had to match it two to one. So, and I worked with David Hornbeck on that. And then I um, was lucky enough to be able to retire. So uh, I had more time. My volunteer life has been almost totally attached to women's reproductive health and freedom. So um, I've been on a lot of boards involved with that and still something I'm very devoted to. Um, and I just, I'm just about finished with the board of Association for Public Art, which is uh, the organization that takes care of all the public sculpture in Fairmont Park. We conserve we, and we commission. You are, you are a busy lady. So all of this was a natural transition for you. Uh, you went from being in a paid job to a volunteer doing this work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right now, how many mentors do you have? Not enough. <laughs> okay. A lot of people had to stop during the pandemic. So we're down to less than 10 of us. So um, if people are interested, who uh, we'd be happy to meet with you and talk with you about it. But um, there's a volunteer tab on both the um, Broad Street Ministries program and on website and the Hub of Hope website. So Perfect. if anyone who's interested um, in having a very, very, very rewarding job, we would be more than happy to welcome you. Yeah, that would be great. And even if you don't have sewing skills, I know you are very um, happy to accept any monetary donations. Oh, <laughs> yes. Help, help <laughs> buy supplies and new machines. I'm sure you need them all the time. So I learned of the Menders through a post online about a book that piqued my interest called Humankind, Changing the World One Small Act at a Time, written by a local author, Brad Aronson. It's a national bestseller full of heartwarming real life stories about how one small deed can make a world of difference. And 100% of the proceeds go to nonprofit Big Brothers Big Sisters. It's available on Amazon. The Menders must be very proud to be included in this book. Um, it's a uh, 
I, I know that it, we're running out of time and I, and I want to get a few things um, out. I know that part of your future for the Menders is to create this type of uh, service in other places in the country. Oh, we'd be so happy to do that. And we're completely set up. We have a handbook. We can um, give full instructions on how to do it and how to contact. I mean, obviously, you build it by word of mouth with your friends. But um, boy, we would be so happy to help other people start this because it's so rewarding. It's oh. kind of selfishly rewarding, yeah. you know, and you walk out of one of those places and it's raining outside and you're going home to a home with, a, you know, a roof over your head. And a lot of our guests don't, aren't lucky enough to have that. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time. Thank you for sharing your skills, kindness and, and heart for humankind. We need more people like the Menders. Perhaps the story will bring out some fresh faces. So oh, I hope so. But thank you so much for letting us have this opportunity. Our pleasure. Um, for more information about the Menders, go to Broad Street Ministries website, www.broadstreetministry.org, and click on the Volunteer tab, or the Hub, Hub of Hope website, www.projecthome.org, and again, click on the Volunteer tab. The Menders are always looking for new faces, and if you don't so, monetary donations are always appreciated for the supplies, machines needed to mend items. Thank you again, Suzanne. Oh, thank you so much. Sure. Sue will be right back after the break to close out the show. Ladies, keep living your dreams. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC streaming app. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome back. That's it for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to Tony Kateri for producing the show. And uh, I hope everyone has a very nice, calm, healthy, and happy holiday. Um, stay with us for, at the end of the show to hear from, again, our uh, Military Watch contributor, Carol Eggert, with Comcast NBC Universal. And watch next week um, as I speak to Stacey Hauser, the principal of the Narrative Group. Have a great week, everyone. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. 
This week, we recognize the United States National Guard as it celebrates its 386th birthday. The first militia regiments in North America were organized in Massachusetts on December 13, 1636, long before any of our military branches and even our nation were established. Today's National Guard is made up of more than 450,000 service members spread across units in each state, U.S. territory, and Washington, D.C. These members from the Army and Air Force components report to each state governor as their commander-in-chief. While the president may order to use the National Guard units as part of federal missions, such as overseas deployments, so these members serve their communities and their nation during times of conflict overseas and during national estate emergencies here at home. Members of the National Guard have civilian jobs, but may be required to answer the call to service, sometimes with only a half day's notice. At Comcast NBC Universal, we're proud to have thousands of employees who are members of the National Guard, because we understand their need to balance their Comcast roles and their military duties. We offer specialized benefits for these employees to easily navigate their jobs with both our company and our country. Some of these benefits include additional paid time off for military training, making up the difference in employees' pay if they are called to serve, and offering a military concierge service team. This dedicated team assists the National Guard and Reserve employees with making the transition from civilian to military roles as seamless as possible. Our mission is to provide peace of mind for our Guard and Reserve employees when they need to answer the call to service. Our country is a safer and stronger land thanks to the continuing legacy of our National Guard. And it is my honor to salute every Guardsman and every Guardswoman, past and present, on the Guard's 386th anniversary. We can do a summer party. <laughs> it's the weather. Can we do this show outside or on the roof? Weekdays at 9 on 6ABC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.